Despite the depth of ocean that is the USA, we are fishing in a very shallow mud pool <laughs> when it comes to candidates, okay? We've got Biden on the one hand, I've given up saying how old he is, and we've got Trump on the other hand, who's a manifest lunatic. Mark, how's it? Good morning. I believe your number for this week is 44, Tim. Yes, 44. That would be the number that indicates your local temperature. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. <laughs> it is damn hot. Good morning, everyone. Hi, everyone. Yeah. Okay, so now I want to talk about ESG funds. Why do I want to talk about ESG funds? Right. Because for the first time, in history, there's been a net outflow from ESG funds all around the world. So the question is, why is that happening? First of all, an ESG fund is an investment fund that concentrates on the environment, on society, and on governance. It's the best thing in the world. It's a fantastic idea. The idea was, let's not beg people to change. Let's just encourage them to change by appealing to their pockets. And there was a lot of research done showing that ESG funds perform better than non-ESG funds because they take into account governance and society and all of that sort of stuff. And mm, it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but, but what reasons did you see? Any? Yeah, there's a whole bunch, in fact. The first is that, you know, there's just one exigency of the you know, current market, which is that the big tech funds are just running away with it all, right? So because the tech funds are running away with all of the gains in the stock market, I mean, the Super 7, the Fabulous 4, the 17 best you know, tech funds are just completely outperforming everything else, including ESG funds. So fund managers are just seeing the performance of ESG funds you know, down 20% last year, 20%. The S&P 500 was up 24%. You know, there is just a sort of like performance problem here. It brings into focus the question of how do you measure returns? Returns on ESG capital are, are not or should not be entirely measured by the sort of, you know, numerical return on the funds invested compared to, say, the S&P, as you've just done. It is the consequence of that investment, which you can start extrapolating into the impact it has on economies and the world and people's lives and all of that good stuff. And so maybe the guys who put the money in there in the first place uh, and they chased returns have stopped thinking about the purpose, you know, the, the whole question of impact capital and so on. Yeah, the big problem that when people have surveyed this, the big problem is that people just don't know what ESG means. There's no uniform regulated metrics. So it's difficult to say what is an ESG fund and what isn't. Yeah, yeah, For yeah. example, can an ESG fund invest in an arms maker? Not really. Eh? I wouldn't have thought. You know, up till a year ago, everybody would have said no. But now a lot of people think, you know, you, it's, uh, it's, okay, you can. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think the most intriguing thing, the most interesting thing, especially for South Africa, is that there is an unattended consequence because how does it go, right? So let's say you're now not allowed to invest in coal companies. So then <laughs> the coal companies, as a consequence, there's no new investment in coal companies. The price of coal goes up. The price of coal companies go up massively. That's not what you intended. You wanted the price of coal companies to go down. But because we're transitioning to a new kinds of energy, then obviously the supply declines because demand declines. But actually, in the short term, that doesn't happen. <laughs> in the short term, demand goes up. <laughs> so it's kind of binary. <laughs> if you want to play in the markets, then you have to accept that the markets 
obey fundamental economic rules, for instance, of supply and demand. Okay, and that's where price is discovered, where those two meet. And you can't sort of, you know, live in a parallel universe of wanting to invest in virtue but seeking an outcome in measurable market value. Unless you're China, of course. That's true, yeah. I've just seen a headline, which I, and, I, and I haven't read it, but it says that China's C tightens the stock market rules after a send-off. So he's a bit unhappy with how the stock market is doing, and so he's going to change the rules. Okay, Now, that sort of interference never prevails, and it always ends in tears. And I think you know, capital around the world needs to control alternatively, think about your purpose, and if your purpose is to make money and solely to make money, then you know, then you can measure yourself against things in that space. But if your purpose is, is more virtuous, I would argue, then you have to adopt other measurements. I mean, I, I just think uh, Xi Jinping is, he's just missing the point just a little bit, maybe. <laughs> well, you know, what, markets, what markets, what democracy? You know, the markets can be free, but not completely free. They should be partly free and partly do what I say. And democracy can be free. Oh, the same with democracy. You know, it's, a, it's, it's democracy, but hey, these are the candidates, guys. Okay. Just because it's democracy doesn't mean that the result shouldn't be predetermined. <laughs> Moving from that, I mean, are we getting cleverer or dumber in the investment world? Okay. And I would argue that we might be getting dumber because it seems to me the rule has become do what everyone else is doing and you'll make some money. Follow the crowd. I mean, algorithms and the like go, has the stock moved up? Yeah, buy some more. Has it still moved up? Buy some more. Has it still moved up? Has it moved down? Sell some. So it's, I think, fundamental analysis in so many of, for example, the tech stocks has had to give way to enthusiasm and hyperbole. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, sort of partly. But then, you know, every now and then you see the results of some of these tech companies. Yeah. You think, wow, that is extraordinary. Netflix, you know, increased over the past year, it increased the number of viewers by 30%. Tesla as well. Tesla had a bad year. They only increased their global production. They're not producing 2 million cars a year. They only increased their production by 20%. I mean, it was, it's crazy until you see what these companies are doing. And then some of it looks logical. It's so difficult. And I found this in engagement with potential investors on various assets. It's so difficult to persuade the holders of established old capital to invest in the new economy with confidence and understanding. Okay. And I'm a buyer of tech as a driver, of pervasive tech, you know, as a driver and fintech in particular, and all of this technology with all of the sins that it might have attached to it is a, a huge force. For example, I read recently that, you know, Stanley Muggs, I don't know if you've got a Stanley Mug, but if you haven't got a Stanley Mug, you better go and get one, Tim, because they're in. Okay, so Stanley Muggs did a little influencer marketing thing on social media. These are just mugs that you put in your landy when you're going into the desert and you keep your coffee hot and all that sort of stuff. And sales went from, listen to it, $75 million to $750 million in 2023. And that is attributable to an instant audience right. that is accessible through technology. And so technology yes. matters. It, it, it matters to the point that it's a problem in my view. Yes. 
I spent some time yesterday trying to make a logo. My, I won't go into the reasons why, but I mean, you know, I just, I typed into chat GPT, make me a logo. Of course you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what? Give, give them a guy. God, they were really give good. Give them a bit more. To, give them a bit more to work with, for goodness sake. Yeah. Even chat GPT needs a little. Give me a what? Who are you? Who I am? It's been yeah. monitoring me from. No wonder it can't come up with a logo. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it made it made some fabulous logos. <laughs> I think logos are easy because you know there's lots of them around. I think, oh my god, these companies are fantastically overvalued, and then you you actually use them, and thank God, that's that's great. We should realize <laughs> that we're in a transition. This is something of value indicators from the past to the future and profits after tax are no longer the driver of value. You know, growth in revenue is the driver of value, pervasive product uptake, cost of client acquisition. Those are the, the economic differentiators and drivers. Wake up and get with it. Mark, can I ask you a question? What do you think the election is going to do to South Africa's economic outlook for this year? Our election. Yeah, our election. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, there's 64 countries having elections. I know. I know. Um, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I told you. I told you. Our election, you know, it begs the question what's the result? Okay. But I mean, generally speaking, we're into election season and we are being inundated with, you know, unfulfillable promises. And so yes. what does that do? What does that do when you promise tooth fairy is going to give you five rand for your tooth and when you look under your pillow having extracted your tooth prematurely to present value the, the five rand, you find that it's only one rand, okay? And that's what we faced. I think we're going to be faced with a population that in the main is going to be disappointed again by unfulfilled promises and that impacts on confidence. So I'm not feeling good about it, Tim. Unless there's a sea change in the outcome, and there is evidence renewal and engagement with new thinking and new people and new everything. It does concentrate the mind of the politicians. I mean, you can see them sort of thinking a bit harder about what to actually fix. I mean, historically, elections in South Africa have made very little difference you know, to the economic outlook. And I saw the World Bank and the IMF are both have increased really substantially South Africa's anticipated growth this year from, you know, a smidgen to a tiny bit forward. You know, yeah. No, I, 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 that possibility exists. That I, I, I actually am on yeah. the side that yeah. says that possibility exists because absent renewal in so many ways, the alternative starts becoming, you know, an existential crisis. And so I think anyone who wants to stay in power with any likelihood of continuity is going to have to start delivering. And that's good. You know, maybe that's what the that's selection the will. And then there are some new faces of promise. What do you make of the American election? Do you think that we're going to get Trump again? What's your guess as of now? I know it's all a year away. As of now, I think he's got the best chance. Okay. But it's a, I mean, we are fishing despite the depth of ocean that is the USA, we are fishing in a very shallow mud pool, okay, when it comes to, when it comes to candidates, okay. We've got Biden on the one hand, I've given up saying how old he is, and we've got yeah. Trump on the other hand, who's a manifest lunatic, okay, in my view. I mean, I don't know if you saw his rant the other day and $83 million, you know, court judgment against him. I see they've renamed the Trump Tower, the Carroll Tower now, you know, it's <laughs> yes, of that. Yes. 
and he hasn't paid his taxes. And, and I believe that you can still be the president even if you go to jail. I don't know. And also, you listen to, I mean, someone had something very clever to say, which I'll give to you now. The New York Times, I'm reading a quote out of the New York Times, which I think distills the essence of the problem in America. And here, okay, and it says the following, before Nikki Haley remakes herself as a candidate of anti-Trump catharsis, she should spend one short month trying to be a candidate who wins. Okay. <laughs> and so I think, yeah, and, and, and I think that's right. I mean, all we hear from our various opposition parties is criticism of the incumbent party, okay, and very much less about what's going to happen, you know, what they're going to do that's measurable and incrementally achievable. You watch the Trump debates, and I'm sure they'll do a TED Talk on that one day, and it's just a vicious personal across-the-floor set of insults. That's hardly the foundation for voting for leadership, I would have thought, but that's where it is. I, I, I've stopped watching, Tim. You know, the terrible thing is, I have a fantastic affection for America. You go to America, you're just caught up in the enthusiasm and the confidence that people have. It just makes the rest of the world look like, you know, just a bunch of doomsayers. Americans in general, incredibly confident people, as a, you know, as a sort of general rule, fantastically adept, you know, demonstrably the most successful large country in history. And at the same time, it does say something terrible about Americans that they could even consider somebody who, no. who just has so little sense of the world that he decides to re-insult somebody who he has already insulted or, or defamed and go back to court and get, you know, get, get a, no. you know, a sort of huge... No, that's called leading with your chin. You know? <laughs> yes, yes, but, yes, but, so. but yeah, yeah, I mean, do you want to get knocked out? I'm also fascinated by how the system works then. I don't know it well, you know, the whole electoral vote and so on. And I was interested, I, I watched the, the highlights of the Australian Tennis Open uh, last night, and and Sinner beat Medvedev in the in the final set. Okay, but and if you add up the numbers of the games, okay, Sinner also beat him. But that's not always the case. So Sinner won twenty four games to Medvedev's twenty three. Okay, right. Yeah, and I just wondered if instead of having these sets and things, I mean, who cares about it? instead of match play? If you had stroke play like they do in golf, then you might achieve completely different results. And if you had instead of electoral colleges the popular vote, what would happen, you know, in the US? And what would happen here if we had a, in my view, true democracy where the people elect the president, not the party? Yes. Okay. And I think that's a fascinating debate. I think there is a kind of misapprehension. I happen to be married to an American, which means that I follow American politics very closely. So I have a fact, I have a real fact, which is that there's only six states that matter. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, North Carolina, Arizona, and Georgia, right? As we speak now, Michigan and Pennsylvania are trending Democratic. North Carolina is trending Republican. I can't imagine Wisconsin goes to the Democrats this time around. That means we're looking at Arizona and Georgia. <laughs> you know, so a population of 350 million people, and it comes down to suburban voters in two medium-sized states in America. It's just extraordinary. And oh, by the way, Trump is ahead in both of those states. As you say, he has the best chance. All right. Can I give you my number for the week? 
Yeah, go ahead. So I always ask you the question. I mean, I don't expect you to know the answer. Well, you might. Yeah. You never know, Tim. If you do, you would be extraordinary. I never have so far. I've never let you down on not knowing <laughs> yes, the answer. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the question is, how many things have humans put on the moon? How many objects have we successfully placed on the moon? And of course, I'm raising this because... It's a leading question. Yeah. It's yeah. A leading, because, because Japan's just put one on. Japan has just, just become the fifth country to put an object on the moon. Unfortunately, it fell over and it doesn't work. But apart from that... <laughs> but it's there, it's there, it's there, it's there. You're not talking about objects which can go there and come back. You're not talking about objects only that have got human beings inside them. You're talking about all manner of objects. Just any object. Here you are. Here you are. Okay, I would say 486. No, 20. It's very small. I mean, it's a very small number. Is that all? Yeah. That's yeah. not a lot, eh? Amazing. Actually, it's 19. I mean, it's just a hop and a skip from here, eh? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It only cost a trillion dollars to go for a trip to the moon or something. <laughs> oh, well, I'm surprised. Well, I've got an equally interesting number, which also has to do with spheres like the moon. Okay. Or circles. Okay. My favorite number in the world is pi. Now, pi, as you all know, is the, you know, is the ratio. It's what you eat. Yeah, we all know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you pie get cherry you pie. Eat, but it's also, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Steak and kidney pie. Steak and kidney pie. It's yes. also, by the way, given the circumference of your steak and kidney pie, you can calculate its diameter because pi is circumference divided by diameter. It's one of the most extraordinary numbers in the world. And at the moment... Scientific America was talking about a situation where the scientists of the world have taken it upon themselves, wait for this, Tim, because it's about as exciting as anything gets in life, Right. to see yes. that if you carried on multiplying pi by itself, ad infinitum, would you or would you not get to a whole number? Okay. Now, I took that on board and I erased power to the power of 100 and I got nowhere near a whole number, so I think they're wasting their time and they should have called me, I would have told them. But it's a, it's a fascinating number, and it has got no end to it. Okay, pi doesn't end, and it doesn't repeat the numbers. I love pi, particularly cherry pie. That's all I've got <laughs> on numbers. You know why? I mean, I'm, I'm always intrigued by that. If you were designing the world, and you had to say, all right, there's going to be square things, it's going to be round things, <laughs> uh, you know, there's going to be odd-shaped things. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't you make the diameter of a circle a whole number? I mean, wouldn't you just organize it that way? That's a challenge that these mathematicians have. These mathematicians cannot determine, they've admitted they cannot determine whether multiplying pi by itself repeatedly might produce a whole number. The purpose of which escapes me, I have to say. But yeah, you would yeah, have thought... No, no, no. But it is, as you say, it's enormously exciting. I can, I just, I just yeah. feel the excitement <laughs> vibes. <laughs> the other thing, the other number I've got is the temperature in the underground Air Force headquarters of South Africa. Right. Apparently, the air conditioning has stopped working, and we've got an underground, just like in the movies, an underground headquarters. And the temperature down there without the ventilation working is 39.5 degrees. Now, I know that's nothing if you live in the crew, but you can imagine it's not exactly the most work-friendly place. And so... Can they fix the vents there, guys, or can we just do it above ground? Because I'm not sure we've got any secrets with discovery. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. I can, I can almost guarantee you that a democratic vote was taken and it was decided to move the headquarters temporarily <laughs> into the swimming pool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or should we say the fire pool? Cool, Mark. I'm off to have some pie. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It'll be another interesting week as always. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Ta -ta.
This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. For the biggest pod, pod network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please, please contact, contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.